0: The price on everything is going up. Gas, heat, groceries, education, medicine. It seems like the cost of everything's going up while our bank balances are going down. This series is called The High Cost of Living, and it's not a series about money. Because you can't put a price tag on things like joy and hope, peace, freedom, and wholeness. This is a series about paying the price, the high, extremely high price for the cost of living free. Many people don't want to pay the price for a transformed life because the work is just too hard for them. They prefer a, a warm, fuzzy spirituality that just kind of gives them a buzz on a Sunday morning and then leaves them alone for the rest of the week. I meet so many people that want a spirit-filled life. They just don't want to be filled with the spirit. They, they, they want a vibrant prayer life. They just don't want to pray. They want their friends to know about Jesus. They just don't want to witness. They want to be faithful with with a lot, but they want to bypass being faithful with a little. They want financial blessing, but they don't want to do it God's way. My friends, if you read your Bible, spiritual work, the hard work, the high cost of spiritual work is not for the faint of heart. It takes guts and courage I spent years of my life trying to be spirit-led, trying to be heavenly-minded. And I always wondered why it was that I could work so unbelievably hard in my spiritual life and still end up at exactly the same spot year after year, day after day. I got sick and tired of being stuck. And this year, at the beginning of 2009, I want to challenge our church to break that cycle of spiritual futility and to do the hard work, to be willing to pay the high cost of living whole. If you do so, I promise that you may discover or rediscover a spiritual life that is exciting and challenging and anything but boring. When I came to Christ the King a lot of years ago, there was one of our values I didn't understand. And because I didn't understand it, I, do what a lot of, I did what a lot of people do, which is when we don't understand something, it's easier to become a critic than to actually learn about what it's about. One of the values of Christ the King is a culture of recovery. I had no idea what recovery was. I didn't know that God had a plan for, for wholeness in my life and that the greatest enemy of my own spiritual growth was often me because I didn't even understand myself. I thought that 12 steps was for people who struggled with addiction. And I wasn't addicted to anything, or so I thought. And so I thought recovery was not for me. In fact, if we were to be completely honest, I thought that recovery was a cheap substitute for God really working in your life. I couldn't understand why people needed to go through a quote-unquote program when all they really needed to do was go home, read their Bible more, get on their face and pray for God to take all of their problems and just allow them to shrivel up and go away. So I became very critical of those who told me that they were on some type of a a 12-step journey of any kind. I chose to be a critic because that's what most people do. That's why Most guys who are 60 pounds overweight and sit in their big chair watching NFL football games, that's why they actually think they're all smarter than Mike Holmgren. It's because they can sit there in the safety of their living room and and they go, what kind of an idiot would make that kind of a play call? And they actually believe that if they were in charge, the Seahawks would be 16-0 and everything would be perfect. That's why most people love to take pot shots at the governmental leaders in our country because they actually think they would do a better job in the Oval Office than whoever it is that happens to be elected to that position. It's just easier to be a critic because nobody holds you accountable. I chose to be a critic. I thought recovery was a man-made attempt at self-help. And I still have a conviction. I don't think self-help helps anybody I wanted to be a critic and then God put me here. God slowly started changing my heart and I watched as people in recovery did the hard work and I struggled to understand these heroes who embraced their brokenness and somehow found a way to fully depend on God every moment of every day. I watched as they lived off of scripture like it was food and water. I was challenged by their honesty, their transparency, and their ability to be able to live beyond unbelievably difficult and broken pasts. I watched them, and as I watched them, I began to discover a biblical plan for wholeness. And back in 2004, believing that I should know something about this value because I was supposed to be pastoring a church that had the value, that would make sense, right? I thought, well, I might as well go on this journey myself, a journey of recovery, I can tell you, my life has never been the same. I embarked on this journey with two very good friends. We still smile about the fact that they heard me say these words. I don't need recovery, I'm a pastor. They did what you did. They smiled and they nodded and they laughed. And then they prayed that Jesus would deliver me from my denial and we dove in with both feet. I'd like to tell you my story of recovery this morning. It's not done. I work on it every single day. I grew up in a family with great parents and a great church. I was born a perfectionist. Being a perfectionist means I constantly lift my own bar. I don't need anybody in this church to ever criticize me because I do a very good job of doing that for myself. I constantly beat myself up. I was prone to rages of insecurity, fits of arrogance in the strangest of moments. I was born anal retentive to a scary degree. I still have to arrange my pencils in order of height in my desk drawer before I can go home because my world's not perfectly right until I do that. When I go to a restaurant, I have to rearrange the table so that the universe is completely balanced, right? I have to line up the the silverware at the bottom of the napkin because that's where it needs to be. And the salt and pepper need to be side by side with the cats up right there. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're as sick as I am, right? All right? Right? I was born a perfectionist. I could never figure out why people's opinions of me mattered so much, why I could never seem to experience real joy. I felt inadequate all of the time. I felt unworthy every second of every day. And my spiritual life, because of those feelings, became boiled down to a feeling like God was this stern organ grinder and I was the little monkey on the leash walking around with his little cup, trying to get people's approval. It seemed like I had the best of everything, but deep down inside, I was never good enough for anybody, especially God. And I was plagued by verses, verses that said things like this. What good is it if a man, for a man to gain the whole world, but forfeit his soul? Because I felt like I was doing that. See, I knew about God's love. I knew about his amazing grace. I just didn't think that I qualified. So I became like an onion. Lots of layers. Could be sweet if you cooked it long enough, but for the most part, left alone it's just plain bitter. It's a broken combination of ego and insecurity. The way I tried to compensate was I tried to do a lot for God. I wanted to be the best pastor, the best servant, the best worker. I thought I was doing it right. My motto was, I'm going to burn out for Jesus. In case you're wondering, that's not biblical or godly. It came to a point where the rate at which I was doing God's work was destroying the work of God in me. And I remember the day I finally fell to my knees and I said, God, is this all there is? Is this it? I felt like I was dying from the inside out. And in that moment, I was ready for step one. Now, for the record, before anybody writes me any nasty emails, I want us to understand something clearly. I'm going to talk about the step, and then I'm going to talk about the Scripture. I want us to understand something perfectly clear. The step came out of the Scripture because the Scripture is our final authority. You can argue with the steps I'm going to talk about. The Scripture says what it says. And we have no higher authority than the Word of God at Christ the King Community Church. I was ready for step one. Step one was this. It says, I admitted that I was powerless over the effects of my separation from God and that my life had become unmanageable. I did step one because Romans seven eighteen says this. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature for I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, you got to remember, I'm a control freak. I'm a perfectionist. I just about choked on the words powerless and unmanageable because I'd spent my whole life not being either one of those. I was in control. I was managing just fine, unless, of course, you found me in crisis. In the back here, crying my eyes out, wondering why in the world God asked me to do this job. My words became empty. My faith was drying up because I was trying to do life on my own terms. I was powerless and my life had become completely unmanageable. I was out of control in every single way. I tried really, really hard, but I learned that my effort was not enough and I needed help. So I moved to step two. Step two says, I've come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I did step two because the Bible says in Philippians chapter two, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Now, I'm going to stop here just for a second because when we use that word, a power greater than myself, a higher power, we all need to know completely and truthfully at Christ the King. We have named the higher power at Christ the King Community Church. The highest power, the apex of power in the entire universe is worshiped by this church. His name is Jesus Christ the Son of God and God the Son. He stepped out of heaven, lived a sinless life, was crucified on a cross to save us and then rose again on the third day, has ascended back to heaven and now intercedes for us as his children on a daily basis. This church is about Jesus, focused on Jesus, worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus, working for Jesus, doing everything for Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, we're a band with one song and that's the title. Don't question who the higher power is around here. It's an easy answer. I did step two because the Bible says in Philippians 2, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You know, as a pastor, I'd spent my whole life telling people, trust God and follow him. But I wasn't doing it. I wasn't trusting God. I wasn't following. And I don't like preachers who don't practice what they preach, so I was not liking myself very much. See, my own willpower had failed me, left me broken and empty. It's because I needed a new definition of willpower. Willpower, for me, became willing to accept God's power to accomplish His purpose in my life. So moved to step three. I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood Him. I did step three because Romans 12 says this. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And moving through the first three steps, I did something in my life I'd never done before. I used the words, I can't. I can't do this, God. I can't beat that sin. I, I can't seem to get with what you want me to do. I can't. And so in that moment, I had a choice. And my choice was to live moment by moment, day by day. And in doing that, I've learned something. If you don't surrender to Jesus Christ, you will surrender to something else. You will bend your knee to something or someone. My encouragement to you is to bend it to Jesus, the Lord of all. I finally got my knee bent, I moved to step four. I made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. I did that step because in Lamentations 3, the Bible says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. I did my personal inventory in my 12-step book on a red-eye flight between Seattle and Atlanta. I'm glad I did it at night over top of the engines of a plane because it masked the sound of my sobs and it kept everybody in about a 12-seat radius from thinking that I was a raving lunatic. I wrote it out. Most people that ever go through a 12-step journey never make it past step four because the pain of being honesty just costs way too much. That inventory just about killed me, but for the very first time, I felt like I had been truly honest with God about the condition of my heart, and I discovered something. Nothing that I told him or wrote down on those pages was a surprise to Jesus. He'd already taken my inventory a long time ago. So I moved to step five. I admitted to God, myself, and another human being the exact nature of my wrongs. I did step five because in James 5, the Bible says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I sat down with a friend, one of the guys that I walked through this journey with And I divulged stuff that I had never spoken to another human being. I thought by the time we were done, because the guy I was confessing to was an elder in this church, I thought I would have no job and he would have no respect for me by the time we were finished. I came with my list prepared. I sat down in a little booth in the corner of a restaurant. I didn't even have the courage to look him in the eye. So I just read my list from top to bottom. I worked my way all the way through it. And then I put my head down and waited for his reaction. And I heard a voice that said, sir, would you like some more coffee? <laughs> I needed more than coffee, okay? After our waitress walked away from the table, I heard another voice, the voice of John Haviland, my good friend, who said, thanks for trusting me. Still love you. Been a Christian for a long time. I'd never felt that kind of acceptance. I'd never tasted forgiveness like that. Suddenly, I had no more secrets. I was free. The lies that I'd been hearing my whole life, the lies that the enemy tells us, like, you're never going to change. Nobody's going to like you if they know the real you. The lies like you can escape your past if you just ignore it long enough. All of those lies suddenly were exposed for what they were, and I actually felt clean. I'd acknowledged my faults. Now some changing needed to begin. I moved to step six. I was entirely ready to have God remove all the defects of my character. That was scary because I thought if God removes all the defects, there's nothing left, right? Right? But I did it because the Bible says in James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I mean, God began to strip away all of that old garbage. And I'm gonna tell you something, watching the old garbage ride away into the sunset is somewhat painful because you learn to live with it. It's almost like it becomes a friend. I had to allow God to transform everything, my mind, my way of thinking, my assumptions, my dreams, my goals, my warped self-image. I had to let him replace self-esteem with Jesus' esteem. I remember one time John asking me in my journey, one of the worst questions I've ever been asked because it was so unbelievably telling. He said, Grant, who signs your report card? Who gets to approve of you and your life? My answer was, John, it would be easier to tell you who doesn't get to sign my... I think everybody signs my report card. And at that moment, a light came on and I realized something. I was addicted to pleasing people. And if you don't think that addiction can ruin your life just as much as an addiction to meth, then I'd love to tell you the rest of my story sometime. I was addicted to pleasing people and I had to humble myself and ask God to remove that people-pleasing nature and to replace it with a God-pleasing Pleasing nature. I would hope that the people of Christ the King would want their pastor to be more consumed with pleasing God than pleasing them. I would hope so. I would hope that when I walk back to my office after a Sunday morning of preaching, that my first question is not, Boy, I really wonder what Roseanne thought this morning. This is Roseanne. I would hope that you wouldn't want me to struggle back to my office. You know, I, I really, really wonder what Brad thought. I would hope that you would want me to stagger back to my office, fully spent, and to say, God, I pray that you were honored and glorified even if people didn't like what the truth said. Move to step seven. I humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. I did this because in 1 John 1, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I asked God to take heavenly sandpaper and to rub off every rough edge so that my life could be a clear reflection of what he cares about. It was a hard process because it takes years to unlearn bad habits and wrong assertions. There were times when I didn't know if it was worth paying the price. And every time I got there, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, not your strength. I moved to step eight. I made a list of all the persons I had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. I did this because the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. I made a list of people that I had hurt because of my controlling and perfectionist nature. People that I had judged because they didn't quite meet my standard. This was the tough part for me because not only were there people that I needed to go to, I had a few people on my list who'd hurt me too. And my attitude was, you know what? I don't think you deserve to be on my list. I don't think you're worth the ink on the paper because you hurt me. I wasn't willing to forgive as Christ forgave me. I did step eight under protest. Just being real. I learned a valuable lesson I learned that I'm not responsible for anybody else's response to me when I'm doing God's work. I'm just responsible for making sure that I'm clean in front of my savior. So move to step 9. I made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. I did that because in Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's fine for you to come to church and raise your hands and worship God in spirit and in truth. But God says, if you've got something between you and another brother or sister, you better take care of that first so that that doesn't become a spiritual obstacle in your life. I made my amends in coffee shops, in my office, on the phone, via the mail. I made the toughest amends sitting at my kitchen table across from my wife, saying, Laurel, I am so sorry for the times when I've tried to over-control everything in our family because the truth is I did it because I didn't trust God enough. Had to relive some of the pain, but it was worth it. Move to step 10. I continue to take my personal inventory when I'm wrong to promptly admit it. <laughs> I did this because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's an ongoing process. If you need to know whether or not I'm working on promptly admitting it when I get it wrong, Laurel and my children will be here at the 1130 service. You can ask them, all right? It's a work in progress. Move to step 11. I sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. I did this because in Colossians 3.16, the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not poorly, let it dwell in you richly. Finally, move to step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all of my affairs. I did step 12 because in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be. Tempted. six months into 2004 i'd gone through a process of paying the price of the high cost of living whole and i learned a few lessons along the way lesson number one and i learned that only jesus should sign my report card i still very much care about what you think i really do just think now I've got it in the right order. I care more about what God thinks because the truth is I'm going to answer to Him when I get to heaven. When Jesus just shy my report card, I, I learned that the most subtle lie the enemy uses is that you're fine. Wholeness isn't possible. I understand absolute wholeness is reserved for when we get home to heaven. I get that. But I also believe God has a plan for us to have functional wholeness in this world, in this place. I learned another lesson along the way. I learned that it's okay to say you're not okay. You know what I love about Christ the King? You don't need to pretend here. You need to pretend that you're fine. In fact, we'd encourage you not to use the most common Christian lie, which is the lie, I'm fine. You know, I just got fired from my job. had a fight with my wife on the way to the church, and my house is two feet of mud in the basement. But somebody comes along and, 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 hey, how you doing today? You don't want them to think any less of you because after all, you're supposed to be in charge of all your good spiritual stuff, so your answer is a lie. I'm fine. To which the Christian responds with another lie and says, well, I'll pray for you, and then they walk away and never do. So we're placing a moratorium. So we're placing a moratorium on dishonesty of Christ the King. Uh, we're banning the words, I'm fine, for this whole year. We don't, don't want to hear them anymore. We're going to tell the truth instead. We're going to tell people. And in that moment, when somebody actually divulges that information and comes clean, your natural response as a brother and sister in Christ is not to promise them that you're going to pray for them. It's to stop right there in that moment, put your hand on their shoulder and say, we're going to pray right now. Right now. Because Jesus can hear us. Fourth lesson I learned is you never know the true weight of life's burdens until they're gone. I had no idea. How my addiction to pleasing people, how it affected my life and ruined so much of what I wanted from from Jesus and with Jesus, I mean it, until Jesus cut it loose. I have a challenge for you, church. Tonight we start 12 steps, a spiritual journey. This is a opportunity to work on the hardest stuff in your life. We've taken a traditional 12 steps and we've saturated it with scripture and prayer. We're doing the work with God. Now we're going to do it with other brothers and sisters, but this is between you and God. It comes at a high price. There's a high cost to it. It goes almost 14 weeks we're going to start um, uh, 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 registering tonight at 5.30. We're going to begin at 6. We need to know if you're coming ahead of time, if you're bringing kids, because child care is provided. This is a high value at Christ the King. We're trying to make it as easy as possible for you. But it's not an easy commitment. But I don't know about you, but I have found that anything in my life worth going and getting for was worth paying a price for. How do you know if you should come? If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, come and join us. If you're struggling with a sin that you just can't seem to break loose of, come and join us. If you struggle with having to control everything and everybody, come and join us. If the weather in December just about ate your lunch, you need this so bad, right? If you have unresolved stuff from your past that just keeps resurfacing, come and join us. If your life just seems to be one train wreck after another, come and join us if you're stunted spiritually, if you're stuck, come and join us. If you're working through deep pain in your life, come and join us. If you've been scarred by addiction, divorce, grief, or abuse, come and join us. If you're in crisis right now, come and join us. If you need some company on the journey towards wholeness, you just don't want to do it alone, come and join us. If you want everything that God has for you, come and join us. If you've heard everything that I've said this morning, and your response is, I don't need recovery, I'm just fine. <laughs> Come and join us, and we'll pray for you, and you'll pray for us. Last time we did this, about 400 people from our church had the courage to walk through it. Over 70% of them, which is unheard of in recovery world, actually finished the whole journey. It's an opportunity. It's not my life. It's yours. I'm not going to answer for it. You are. My question to you is, are you willing to pay the high cost of living? I got to do something this past week that I just love. I got to take down all of our Christmas decorations. I got to put them in labeled clear plastic tubs. (laughs) I got to put them in my attic with an extraction plan so next year they come out the same way they went in. In order of rooms. It was a thing of beauty. (laughs) I just loved it. And then I got, I got to reclaim my garage because it kind of gets taken over during the Christmas season. And I got to sweep and put things on shelves. My world is so good right now. It's just awesome. When I was up in my attic, I, I found something. I found dirt. <laughs> I found dust. I found cobwebs. I found some things that I thought I'd lost. But now I've got them back. Do you have the guts to go and dig in the corners of your soul? To pull out things that maybe you thought you lost, like joy and hope? Do you have the courage to do the hard work and allow God to bring some order back? into your out-of-control life. All I have to offer you tonight is an opportunity. Whether you take it or not, it's truly up to you. But if you do take it, I'll meet you here. I haven't done 12 steps. Tonight, I will start step 73. I've done it six times, and every time, God teaches me more. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? God, thank you for opportunities to grow. Thank you for uh, loving us. And thank you for giving us an opportunity to pay the high price of living, you certainly did that and went first. God, you paid an extraordinarily high price, and you said that you came that we would have life and have it to the full. So Jesus, we say to you, this is all this is about, is us learning from you how to live exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. So Lord, would you give courage to those who would dare to walk? God, for those who are in a great space in their life, may they pray for those of us who are gonna take this journey together. Lord, would you help us put the excuses aside? And God, if this is the right time in the right place, would you help us to take the steps we need to to lunge for Jesus And experience his power and transformation in our lives. We commit ourselves to doing the hard work this year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.